Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Before we get started with this episode, we at Behind the Knife wanted to let you know that we do not endorse any particular surgical robot, nor did we receive any monetary support from Vicarious Surgical for this episode. We intend only to highlight innovations in surgery, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Behind the Knife. My name is Dan Sheese, and I'm one of the surgical education fellows here at Behind the Knife. Prior to Epsite season, we released the first two episodes of our new series titled Innovations in Surgery, where we highlighted the utilization of artificial intelligence and 3D printing in the surgical world. I'm excited to introduce Adam Sachs and Dr. Belyansky to kick off our third Innovations in Surgery episode on robotic surgery. Adam Sachs is the CEO and co-founder of Vicarious Surgical, a surgical robotics company founded in 2014. As an MIT-trained roboticist, Adam has combined his passion for robots with his passion for helping patients and enhancing the work environment for surgeons through the development of proprietary surgical robotics. With him today is Dr. Igor Belyansky, an internationally recognized expert in the field of abdominal wall reconstruction and complex laparoscopic and robotic hernia repair. Dr. Belyansky has earned his medical degree from Virginia Commonwealth University, completed his residency at MedStar Union Memorial Hospital, and completed a minimally invasive fellowship at Carolina's Medical Center. Dr. Belyansky is currently the medical director of Anne Arundel Medical Center in Annapolis, Maryland. Thank you both for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having us. So we're just going to jump right in here. Adam, as a roboticist, how did you develop an interest in the medical field? So my interest in the medical field really came actually from originally my interest in technology. I think for you know a, a long time, kind of on a personal note, I, I uh, thought I wanted to be a physician, but you know pretty quickly realized that I I love technology and I love you know applying technology and mostly applying existing solutions uh, with our own innovations in, in order to solve problems in the world and. Yeah, I tried that in the tech field first and pretty quickly realized that it just wasn't nearly as satisfying as working on, you know, medical devices and solving problems for surgeons so that they can actually help patients. So, you know, somewhere uh, a few years after college, uh, pretty quickly came to the conclusion that, you know, it was the kind of two things put together that I really wanted to do. Amazing. And Dr. Belyansky, how did you become involved with surgical robotics uh, outside of the OR? Yeah, Dan, uh, again, thank you for having me here. Uh, so uh, as any surgeon, uh, I think it all started actually in the operating room. So, um, you know, the last uh, over a decade now uh, has been uh, kind of really groundbreaking in the field of downward construction where robotics have uh, kind of turned the field upside down. And uh, in 2015, uh, I was still uh, doing a lot of laparoscopy and quite advanced laparoscopy. I was uh, myself and my colleagues, we described what's now referred to as an EDEP access, uh, reef stopper, bare transverse abdominal muscle release uh, procedure. And uh, 
very quickly and then uh, kind of uh, that kind of uh, uh, projected uh, or uh, kind of propelled my career very quickly uh, to the podium talking about this stuff and within a year uh, it just was a natural uh, transition to start doing uh, robotic surgery and uh, um, you know as I became a robotic surgeon and doing this new procedures I became an educator and uh, as an educator uh, it, what ends up happening is uh, people uh, take notice of you and uh, uh, what uh, you know my, my thing was always educating and sh- showing people how to do certain procedures uh, abdominal construction procedures as uh, and what happened uh, Barry Green was the CMO of a vicarious company and uh, I think about uh, 2019 uh, uh, or actually 2020, 2020, right before COVID hit, uh, I was in uh, England, London, um, uh, was uh, at a conference there and uh, Barry came up to me and just uh, asked me, hey, we have this uh, very unique new system that we're working on. Uh, would you mind, uh, would you care to come and see it? And uh, I said, yes. Uh, uh, and with, then COVID hit and it was a year and a half of hiatus. And finally, I visited the lab and uh, I think about uh, uh, 2021, um, or maybe actually, you know, yeah, 2021, and uh, uh, and then uh, we just hit it off, and it was interesting. I realized how amazing, incredible uh, the potential of uh, the vicarious system is, and uh, uh, I was one of the surgeons they asked to kind of uh, be a little bit more permanent of a consultant, and that's that's kind of my story so far, the last few years. That, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, sure. Adam, can you uh, speak on the process of taking this initial innovative idea that you had um, back prior to even starting the company in 2014 and really getting to the point of creating a product that can be used in surgical ORs working on human patients? Yeah. So, uh, you know, to, to start at the beginning, we, I think it really comes down to recognizing the problem and recognizing the need because, you know, that the needs of surgeons, hospitals, patients, are really, you know, what what drives, I'd say, useful medical innovation. And uh, the, the need that we recognized really came from the challenges of laparoscopy and the challenges of, of multi-port approaches. And there, there are a lot of surgeons out there who are incredibly talented at laparoscopic surgery, who are incredibly talented at using multi-port surgical robots. But th- there are also a lot of surgeons who struggle. And those, those surgeons uh, are, are, frankly, are operating on patients. And, and uh, you know, the existing surgical robots have helped a ton with that, but still present a lot of challenges for workflow in the operating room, training and setup. A lot of people have limited access to them due to a variety of reasons uh, that, that are all, all pretty coupled together. Everything from the multi-port approach uh, leading to a, a lot of training being needed, as well as the high cost of, of acquisition. Uh, and you put all of that together, and you're really looking at the need for a, a new architecture, not just an incremental update to surgical robotics. So, you know, what we really want to create is is a system that, you know, not just a few percent of surgeries can be performed on, but rather one that really can be a lot more ubiquitous in the field. I'll say we're we're tackling that really one small step at a time, though. Uh, we developed out over the last 10 years uh, uh, a series of, of ways to fully decouple the motion between each of the joints in a robotic arm. And what that allows us to do, so it was really an engineering problem for a long time. 
Uh, it was the engineering problem that attracted investment from investors like Bill Gates and, and Coastal Ventures, uh, among others. And then with that, we were able to develop it out into functioning prototypes and bring in investment from HCA Healthcare, Becton Dickinson, and, and uh, a number of other players in the healthcare space as we move this quickly toward a, uh, a surgical product and a surgical device. Uh, I, I will say, uh, and I think it's important to note, you know, we're not on the market yet. Uh, we are working on the version 1.0 of our system now, uh, aiming to get to design lock. And then the next steps looking forward will be taking it through, you know, all of the regulatory process, everything from the laboratory testing that's required, uh, cadaveric and other preclinical testing, and then into a, a small clinical trial to prove its safety and efficacy. Now, as part of that whole process, I'm sure you have to navigate through obtaining FDA approval. Can you speak about how you go about navigating this approval process and provide any general tips for future innovators? Uh, I'd say that I, I have a few thoughts on this. Uh, the first is that you know the FDA uh, is, uh, to some degree, is a uh, uh, continually reshaping and reevaluating their views. And I think that that is a really important thing to remember for a development process that takes 10 years. I mean, we've been working on this full-time since the beginning of 2014. And over that period, there have been a number of key changes in the way the FDA views surgical robots, as well as a number of other things. Uh, so it's with that in mind, they're, they're very open, very collaborative. And it, it's important to strike up the conversation early to do pre-submissions and go through the process in order to understand what the FDA is thinking and then keep that dialogue open because they, they really are you know, happy to work with companies and want to see medical technology get out onto the market. Uh, it just has to be within their process and within the confines of what the larger agency requires. So this is, I'd say, pretty broad advice, but my advice really would be to, to work with the FDA to make sure that they are well aware of what you will be presenting to them in your, your uh, package uh, uh, for approval before you submit it, uh, and make sure that, that you're giving them what they can be comfortable with giving you approval on. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that beneficial advice uh, for the listeners. Um, you had talked about the idea to further improve surgical robotics. Did you imagine that your idea would be more so focused on uh, a few different types of surgeries or, you know, maybe focusing on one surgical specialty? So uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I would say that our goal has always been to build the most versatile tool we can. But, you know, in many ways, like, yes, we're a public company. Yes, we're well-funded, but we're, we're still a startup. And I think it's important to remember that, and it's important to keep focus. So we are focused on a few specialties in the beginning because they're really exciting specialties and because we really believe in our ability to, you know, change the way a, a number of different procedures are performed in the beginning, but all with the focus of making as broadly applicable a tool as possible. And, you know, maybe Dr. Belyansky, it'd be worth you touching on some of the uh, experiences doing some of the other procedures as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, okay. As we know, we we presented uh, the uh, beta, you know, the beta two system presentation that back in uh, November, um, and uh, you know what we've done so far in the lab uh, is an eye pump repair. That's kind of 
again, it's public knowledge. You can find a video over that. And it's a, it's a very, you know, it's very interesting. So I've been on the carry system uh, now for the past, uh, been working with my carry for the past year and a half and kind of seen it evolve into what it is right today. And, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's certainly interesting. But one of the considerations is it's uh, certainly a smaller footprint on the outside. You know, we on the one side, the current robotic systems that's very popular. Uh, there's a multi-incisional, multi-port system. Uh, it takes a, a you know a certain degree of training to understand how to place the ports, where to place the ports. You know, when you go to a single port uh, uh, system, uh, you know that uh, understanding. You know, you, so, uh, it's, it's a, there's less uh, there's less learning curve associated with that. Uh, all the joints, uh, as Adam kind of briefly mentioned, are inside intra-abdominal. So all the moving parts are intra-abdominal. It's very interesting. The uh, vicarious robot is essentially the best way to think about it. It's like almost like a, a little humanoid person inside the abdominal cavity. Um, and uh, the camera is extremely unique, more unique than anything uh, right now uh, on the market, um, uh, which is uh, really kind of like uh, you, you have your chest, your shoulders, uh, your working arms, and a head. Uh, which is a camera, which looks like a pill. If you ever look at the video, it literally can turn, you know, sideways, up and down, rotate up and down. And uh, really, uh, the robot itself can contort into some really interesting positions where it allows you to almost like uh, almost work uh, backwards on itself. Like, uh, you know, you can pitch down and look up, uh, working uh, backwards, allowing you to uh, really uh, to do procedures such as an uh, eye pump repair. Uh, we were able to uh, close the defect, uh, place an eye pump repair through all through one incision. Um, and you know, uh, in in robotics, uh, some of the more difficult parts uh, in eye pump repair is the ipsilateral suturing of the mesh to the abdominal cavity. And it's amazing how uh, you know unique uh, this uh, uh, the, the robot design is that allows us to really visualize that ipsilateral edge at much ease as a compared to, again, uh, the traditional legacy systems that are currently available. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Belyansky. And I will include a link to the Vicarious Surgical website in the show notes for this episode, where the listeners can watch a short video of what you've just described. So surgical robotics has already come a a very long way since uh, it was initially introduced. What are some areas in surgical robotics where you think there's still room for overall improvement um, and where, and you know, where can we go with this? Yeah. If I, if I can touch on that a little bit uh, from a technical perspective, I think that there's, there, there's a, a, a ton of room for improvement. That isn't to say that what's been built isn't incredibly valuable though. So I kind of want to start from the perspective of, you know, what, what's been built. Like a lot of the reason we're here is because, you know, we're, we've been inspired by what's been built today. And it, you know, there are, are over a million excellent minimally invasive cases done on patients every year with, uh, with the you know, main multi-port surgical robot that exists today. That being said, you know, there are many tens of millions of total abdominal surgical cases done worldwide, and there is so much more opportunity. So to directly answer your question, I, I think uh, the multi-port approach is, is one of the biggest challenges. And uh, there, there has never been a single port approach that uh, to date that's been practical. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe ours uh, will be and will be the first. Uh, but the multi-port approach does mean that the surgeon is generating all of their motion by pivoting about the abdominal wall. So even if you add a wrist on the end of that, uh, on the end of that stick, it helps a lot with suturing, but still the surgeon is triangulating across the abdominal wall. 
And that is limiting in what the surgeon is capable of doing. It means that the surgeon is stuck with any setup or has to port hop or actually create new ports in order to get access to, to different parts of the abdomen or get a different approach, different triangulation and different retraction. So uh, all of that, you know, is things that surgeons, you know, using their spatial awareness and intelligence and good hand-eye coordination have over overcome, but it's still a set of challenges that have to be overcome. So I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, single port, you know, with the appropriate port size that is not 25 millimeters, uh, with the appropriate forces and appropriate dexterity and reach inside the abdomen does overcome a lot of these challenges. It, it just has to be without a lot of limitations of single port that have existed to date. And, you know, one last point I, I will say is that, you know, the multi-port approach also adds a lot of the challenges that, that people talk about all the time. Things like the total total size, total cost of the system is because you have these larger robotic arms that need to make rapid movements outside of the patient to create small movements inside of the patient. And that that leads to a lot of weight, a lot of size, a lot of cost, and also all of the collisions externally and internally that occur. Yeah, I just uh, I want to just uh, piggyback on this and emphasize what Adam just said. Uh, the current uh, one decision systems are 2.5 centimeters or larger. Um, you know, we're talking about this vicarious is 1.8 centimeters, uh, which is much smaller. And it's incredible, uh, you know, uh, the, the unique design process that uh, the team has gone through to create that smaller port, which is, again, a smaller footprint and uh, less likely uh, to form a port site hernias compared to other, um, you know, again, uh, robotic type of systems. I mean, but to answer your question, uh, also kind of, again, uh, to add, to, to build on what Adam talked about, you know, if we start kind of extrapolating what's going to happen, you know, in our field or in the surgical field in general in the next 10 to uh, 20 years, I think in the AI is going to play uh, a very important role. You know, on one side, we have this uh, kind of the mechanical robotics uh, uh, developing like this really incredible tool that Vicarious is building. Um, and, and another side, I think we're going to talk about it. So, so what is this? Uh, it, it does uh, improve uh, the, uh, it does allow surgeons to perform something that they uh, currently have greater difficulty doing laparoscopically with straight sticks. It's quite difficult to do certain uh, movements with straight sticks. But uh, what about, you know, overall safety? You know, uh, you know what is going to happen? Like, you know, how do you, we have a spectrum of surgical expertise and surgical skill set. And so how do we get uh, people on the one side of the spectrum who still need some work to improve? How do we bring those people faster towards the middle or over the middle? And I think uh, and perhaps in AI in the future, kind of a surgeon interface, which is going to kind of make suggestions as you operate. That's going to be, that's what I think we're going to see over the next decade or so, more of that. Uh, kind of uh, suggestions. We we have this in our cars. If anyone drives a Tesla, you know, kind of let's say we already have this in our lifestyle. So it is slowly creeping in, in, in into our life. But we're going to see, I think, more of that in surgery and robotics. This kind of AI uh, still in very early kind of infancy phase. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next decade with that. And if I can even build on that a, a little bit, because I. I totally agree. And looking forward, that's what, what, you know, we're most excited about as well. And that's why, you know, we've built so much sensing into our system. So all of, you know, all of the software that 
that you know we all kind of hear about and talk about all, all has to be built on top of hardware. And having video only limits what you can do. So the, the way we're building out our system, because we're, we're really excited about this future, is to have multiple levels of fluorescent imaging that operate in the background. And then, so, so what that can do is, is use, you know, multiple different fluorescent dyes and all while showing the surgeon normal color video, but allowing the system to identify where critical structures are and to actually do that, not just with AI, but rather with the software built on top of hardware sensing that's actually lighting it up for the computer in the background uh, uh, while, while the surgeon is operating. And then you add that with our tracking of the, every one of the surgeon's movements, as well as every force that's exerted on the tissue. So now we actually know what the tissues in the abdomen are, uh, what the surgeon is looking at and working on, what the surgeon's movements are, and what forces they're exerting on the tissue. And we can correlate all of that then with you know the outcomes of, of the patient and start to build a much more rich data set. So overall, I, you know, you, you can imagine even the simplest things from this that will have incredible value. I mean, take one of our earlier indications of hysterectomy. If you can, for every procedure, easily, uh, you can highlight the ureters, you will either uh, decrease injury significantly uh, and or speed up the procedure significantly and require uh, a lot less uh, de detailed and delicate dissection to get a, a good view of the critical anatomy. So the, the, you know, this is really what excites me long-term for our company. And you know, I, again, I, I don't get me wrong, I'm really excited about our first indications. I'm excited about, you know, uh, about the, the robot itself. But when you put together all of this with a robotic system that's small, easy to set up and, and use. You just make one port. You don't need to get, you know, plan out triangulation uh, uh, preoperatively or when you're making the incisions. Uh, and you can just insert it and you're ready to operate. And then you add that to the software. That's when this becomes incredibly powerful. And, and that's the future that we're building towards. It's incredible. Just out of curiosity, um, in the robotics world, you know, uh, most people are familiar with uh, surgical robotics when it when discussing intra-abdominal procedures. Um, you know, is there any thought, or has there been any talk about using robotics, you know, in cases outside of the abdomen? Uh, interesting question. You know, I'll say that the abdominal market is, uh, an incredibly attractive market. There's, uh, a ton of abdominal procedures, uh, overall. Um, I'm going to just set aside, uh, uh, orthopedic robots and just kind of focus on soft tissue because that, that is our focus. There are obviously multiple orthopedic solutions, uh, out there, uh, that are not intra-abdominal. Um, if you look at our system, it's, it is designed for the abdominal cavity, which means it, it, it's a certain size. And because it's, you know, we, we don't want it to be too small because then the forces are going to be too low and your reach within the abdominal cavity will be too, too small. That being said, you know, thoracic procedures are the other, uh, I'd say, you know, the thoracic cavity is the other uh, uh, reasonable place that our robot can fit. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, I'm not sure if you're trying to get at, at you know, some extra peritoneal procedures as well or, or, or any other uh, uh, options there. So I'd say that there are, you know, we're probably on the upper limit of size for that one. Um, uh, yeah, Dr. Belyansky, I'm not sure if you want to add to this. No, uh, I mean, I, I think I think you covered it all. Uh, we are currently uh, kind of discussing in the works about extraperitoneal procedures, but nothing more to comment on that. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. you know, and you mentioned chest cavity. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, go ahead. Yeah. They're experimental and and you know much more on the future uh, 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 ideas than anything else. Correct. Um. So finally, for any medical students or surgical residents listening who are interested in getting involved with surgical robotics, uh, what advice do you have for them? What options are out there for them to get involved? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll start. Uh, find a company and a technology you believe in and, and, and tell them what you need. Right. It's uh, that, that's that's what we need is uh, we, we need, you know. We need uh, surgeons to tell us uh, tell us what they need in the operating room, and to help show us so that we can build it for them and and that we can make it make it work. And you know we're we're not the only company out there, and we're not the uh, uh, you know the the it's not even just surgical robotics. I think there are med- many options even outside the industry could really use the support of clinicians on. I'll see Agree, absolutely. Uh, so, as Adam, uh, you know, was uh, I may give it a little bit of old school opinion. I think with medical students uh, or in, and, and residents, as you go through training, they, you know, when they talk about surgery, it's so important. You know, the foundation of surgery is, you know, going back to the basics. First of all, you have to understand anatomy, and uh, you know, to become a master surgeon, you have to understand anatomy and develop skills. But boy, is it exciting to go into the surgical field right now with all the changes. And I am so personally, I feel myself so lucky that, you know, I finished medical school in 2005, and that's already kind of was 15 years into the laparoscopic revolution uh, in the general surgery. And it's incredible that in 2005, I would not think that I would be doing the procedures that I'm currently doing. You know, uh, you know, you can completely blow up your mind thinking about what is possible, you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, the technology continues to evolve. Um, you know, the, my recommendation would be be flexible, be dynamic, uh, roll with the changes um, and uh, participate, uh, get ideas, uh, you know, uh, get in touch with people like Adam and the Vicarious Company and or other companies uh, uh, and, and work with them and, and be uh, at the have a seat at the table to kind of say what the changes should be. It's, it's quite an exciting time for sure. Well, thank you, both of you, for uh, joining. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I learned a ton. I'm sure all the listeners will be very grateful of of all of your answers and responses. So, I mean, thank you both for, for coming on today. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.